number 16 this morning. This is a tremendous passage that we come to as we think of and we reflect on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit today has in so many ways been, as I mentioned last week, misrepresented, misunderstood. His ministry has been misapplied in so many ways, and there are all sorts of distortions to the ministry of the Holy Spirit that seem to be on grand display in our culture and around the world. I remember being on a mission trip to Kenya, East Africa, and seeing several revival tents around the, the country around the city of Nairobi in the area that we were ministering. And the missionaries were talking to me, and of course I knew uh, a little bit about what was going on in those revival tents. And there were maybe a handful that were preaching the, the true gospel, but much of it was unfortunately a prosperity gospel. And the missionaries said that they often have to deal with the uh, charismatic teaching in, in that area because of the, the, the tribal customs, the, the spiritism that was so common in that area of the world. The missionary said that these charismatic preachers would come in, they'd have these tent meetings, these revival meetings, and they would get everybody wound up and they would have these very emotional services and then they would pack up after they took, uh, took the offerings and after they made promises of God's prosperity and outpouring a blessing, they'd pack up their tents and head off to some other country or head back to the United States. And after a few weeks, the people would be desperate and impoverished once again, realizing that they had just given their money to uh, a scam to something that they thought was the Holy Spirit that was going to bring them prosperity, that was going to bring them money and riches and peace, and they would be, just a few weeks later, back in the same doldrums and same desperate condition, and they found that the prosperity gospel that they had been preached was not the true gospel. It was very empty. And so the missionaries would have to deal with that as they were trying to reach these people with the gospel, with the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and it became... Uh, very frustrating because uh, many times they would meet people who had been to one of these tent meetings, been to one of these revival meetings, and they had been totally fooled. They were confused. And they were not many times receptive to the true gospel because they had been so let down. And they were now frustrated. And they did not understand. And so the missionaries would often have to uh, deal with that uh, there, but we have to deal with it here. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, and again, I'm not trying to say that everybody in Pentecostalism or in the charismatic movement, I'm trying to say, I'm not saying that everybody in those movements is unsaved, uh, but uh, many of them are unsaved, many of them are confused, and they are bewildered, and they have mistaken the ministry of the Holy Spirit for emotion or for prosperity and they have uh, many times been looking at 
the God of materialism or the God of health or the God of wealth instead of the God of the Bible, instead of Jesus Christ. And here's Christ promising to his apostles, to his disciples, persecution. But he says that the ministry of the Holy Spirit will comfort you, will help you, will come alongside you, will be there with you, though I will physically be leaving you. I have promised and am promising to you and to us as believers the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And he has a ministry. And too often the ministry of the Holy Spirit has been misunderstood. But here we see Jesus once again bringing to their minds the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at this word comforter, it's listed there, excuse me, it is stated there in John 16 in verse 7, in verse 7, the comforter will, if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Back in chapter 14 in verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So we looked last week at this word, this title, this name for the Holy Spirit, Comforter. And we understand that this title, this name, this word, Comforter, means counselor, advocate, helper. Sometimes used of a legal assistant who pleads a cause or argues a case. And we looked at three specific ministries of the Holy Spirit from this passage last week. John chapter 16 in verse number 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He is bringing evidence. He is reproving. He is showing evidence in order to convince. As one who comes alongside, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to reprove is to bring conviction, bring convincing by showing the evidence and pointing out man's sinful condition and pointing him to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God's standard, and of pointing to the coming judgment. For it is appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So in verse 9 of sin... Because they believe not on me. So he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So we see these ministries of the Holy Spirit. We looked at them last week. We see that the Holy Spirit convicts men of sin. He convicts men of righteousness and he convicts the world of judgment. But then we drop down to verse number 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Verse 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So we see here another ministry 
of the Holy Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit guides. We've seen the conviction of the Holy Spirit reproving the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And there's an application even to us as believers, as children of God, and how we have to be shown, even as believers, we have to be shown where we are not right with God and we have to get right with God, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us. And as we also read in the book of Proverbs about confessing and forsaking our sin and being restored into fellowship. But for a believer, once saved, having now the Holy Spirit indwelling us, now being the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have to consistently and faithfully and regularly be looking to the Word of God in order to be guided by the Holy Spirit in the path that we should take to fulfill the will of God for our lives, to remain obedient and to remain in the place of God's blessing, to remain in the place that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps us with that by guiding us into truth. Again, Verse number 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Again, we have times where either us growing up as children ourselves, remembering what our parents would tell us, giving us a little bit of information, saying you will learn the rest later. This is not for you to know right now. It's none of your business. You know how kids can have Big mouths and also big ears. Even though both of those are small in size, they can have incredible hearing. We used to have a little joke as we were uh, with our, our very first child, with Emily. She was just an infant, you know, strapped into her booster seat or into her, her, uh, her, her car seat. And uh, she would be jibber-jabbering or whatever, and she would overhear us say something, and uh, then later on we would uh, kind of test her, her hearing um, because we would ask her to do something or we'd say something around the house and all of a sudden she, she couldn't hear us. She didn't understand. You know, why, why did you not hear what we were saying when it came to doing something that you're supposed to do, when it came to a reminder, uh, when it came to a... A specific thing that you should or should not do around the house, you all of a sudden can't hear, but you can hear all these other little things that mom and dad say that we don't really need you to hear or pay attention to. So we had a little joke in the van, and she was strapped into her car seat or her booster seat, and we would whisper to each other the words, ice cream. <laughs> and she wouldn't listen to us for all those other reasons, good reasons, but we would whisper, ice cream. And all of a sudden, ice cream? <laughs> and it became a running joke. There are things that we are to be in tune to from the word of God that sometimes we are just oblivious to, but we're listening to the noise and the counsel and the voice of the world. And here Jesus is preparing the disciples. He is encouraging them. He is giving them hope. He is giving them strength. He is directing their, their, their steps and, and pointing them to the, the time and the place when he would leave them 
He has already instructed them regarding his death, burial, and resurrection. But they are not fully comprehending and grasping this. And he says, but you need to hear this. I realize that you are not fully grasping this right now. It's not fully engaging your mind. You're not fully comprehending what I am saying. But you need to hear this. Though it will make more sense later. It will, in a sense, click after my death, burial, and resurrection and ascension up into glory. But when I do leave your very presence, when I do ascend up into glory, when I do return to my Father, he says in verse number 13, I will not leave you alone. Physically, yes, I will be leaving, but I will not leave you alone. We as parents, grandparents, have experienced, even as young people growing up, we have experienced some level of separation anxiety. I know that kids, little ones, have different various levels of separation anxiety. If I can pick on Emily again a little bit, she's not here, so I can do this, right? She had major separation anxiety as an infant, and she only wanted her mother. And uh, she didn't even want me sometimes. It had to be mom. And she would whine and she would cry about anybody holding her except for her mother. And I was like, well, I had a part in this. You know, I'm your dad. (laughs) Why do you not like me? (laughs) It took a while, but eventually uh, she got over that separation anxiety. And we know how it is in various stages through nursery and maybe dropping the, the children off at a babysitter or first day of school, whatever it is, and all those separation anxieties. And Jesus knew that there was going to be a separation anxiety of a certain proportion for the disciples. It was going to be difficult for them over the next several days and, or hours and days as he would go to the cross, as he would go in the grave, as he would rise again, and then for 40 days he would spend time with them and then ascend up into glory. And there was going to be anxiety. There was even going to be sorrow. There was going to be a struggle. He understood their human condition. He understood, just like he understands ours. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But he is saying, I, yes, physically will leave you, but I am still going to be with you. This is the Trinity. This is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of Truth, another title for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. We've seen Comforter. We know the title Holy Spirit. And now we see the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit shows the way to Jesus Christ. He shows the way to Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In a world today where there are few, if any, absolute truths, where everybody sort of makes up truth on his or her own, everybody is just kind of sort of deciding his or her own truth. In a day in which we have people who claim to develop their own truth as they go along, as they claim to find their truth deep down, hidden in the inner recesses of their being. 
and all these other ridiculous claims about truth in a day and age where pretty much we're finding every man is doing what is right in his own eyes, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who keeps pointing us to Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He keeps pointing us to the Word of God, God's absolute truth, God's Word. And that ministry of the Holy Spirit that we looked at last week, he continues to bring that evidence. He continues to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and continues as believers, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, continues to guide us to Christ and to the truth of the Word of God. So we have the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, indwelling us, making us the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there's applications that we can make, but we have to make this application. The Holy Spirit will never lead someone away from Christ. The Holy Spirit will never lead someone away from the true person of Jesus Christ will never lead someone away from the truth and will never lead someone into an act of disobedience or into false doctrine. We have to understand that. When someone disobeys the word of God, when someone begins to follow a false teacher, when someone begins to believe false doctrine, they are showing that they are not following the Spirit's lead or they are not genuinely indwelled with the Holy Spirit in the first place. Because the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us into truth, points to Jesus Christ. Verse 14, He shall glorify me, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, Christ for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. This is another reference to the deity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God the Father is God. I know that's hard for our finite brains to fully comprehend the Trinity, but the Word of God teaches one God, three persons. And we see that here in verse 14 and then even in verse 15. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Now he's taking the Holy Spirit and he's equating him with God the Father. We see the Trinity here. We see this doctrine clearly spelled out. Christ is teaching the disciples, preparing them for persecution, preparing them from his, for his physical absence. But he is saying, God will continue to remain with you. I will continue to be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you into truth. Now we have to think about this for a moment in the terms of the canon of Scripture. I know we've taken a little break for a few weeks as Dane Clark's teaching the adult Bible study class, but I've spent the last couple of months going through a series basically on bibliology and understanding revelation, inspiration, 
and now preservation in the canon of Scripture, and we've been working through that. And we see here in John 16 and verse 13, and back in John 14 and verse 26, we see Christ pre-authenticating the New Testament. Look at John 14 and verse 26. If you have to flip back a page or two, maybe it's there uh, in your Bibles as you have them open to John 16. John 14 and verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's the Gospels. In a sense, that's the Gospels. The eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ, canonized in Scripture, revealed, inspired, and preserved in the Word of God for us. The testimonies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In a sense, that's the Gospels. John 16 and verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We see in that verse, we see from verse 26 of chapter 14 to verse 13 of chapter 16, we see the Gospels, we see the epistles, and we see the things to come, the book of Revelation and all the prophetic passages of the New Testament. They're all there. This is a testimony of Jesus Christ to the pre-authentication of the New Testament, that God would deliver his word. He would reveal his word to his apostles. He would inspire the very words that they wrote, God breathed, and preserve those words for us today so that we have the truth and we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to point us to Jesus Christ and to lead us as we follow him in obedience and let the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us and direct us into all truth and to Jesus Christ, we can then live an obedient and faithful life and fulfill the will of God for our lives. There's no excuse, is there, for us as believers? No excuse. We can, as parents, as grandparents, we can fail. We can make promises that we can't keep. We can't be there all the time in every way to make sure our kids always do right. They have to eventually take ownership of the truth of the word of God, and they have to make those personal decisions, and live those out. We can warn them, we can discipline them, and some, even though we have done everything we possibly can, we've poured our lives into them, sometimes they still make dumb choices. Sometimes they make sinful choices. And it reminds us of ourselves sometimes, right? And the silly choices, the sinful choices that we've made. We can't always be there looking over their shoulder, guiding everything that they do all the time. So we have to keep pointing our children and our grandchildren to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit to guide them and to lead them and pointing them to the Lord because as believers, they too are indwelled with the Holy Spirit and they too can be guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important that we keep the Bible in front of our children, in front of our grandchildren. That's why it's so important we come to church and we emphasize the things of God and the Word of God and we keep Christ high and lifted up in our homes. But we as believers, we have the resources. He has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness, to the knowledge of Him. 
We read in 2 Peter 1 and verse number 3. So we have the Holy Spirit. He will guide us into all truth. It's sad that we don't always obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's sad that we don't always follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, which is synonymous with Ephesians 5. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But we sometimes grieve. We sometimes quench the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us to the truth, constantly pointing us to Jesus Christ. Like a compass or like that sign that never leaves its place. Always pointing us to Christ. Always pointing us to God. Always pointing us to the truth. We must respond to the Holy Spirit through the word of God as he points us to Christ and to the word of God and be obedient and faithful to the word of God and to completing the will of God. He guides us into all truth. But we also see that he supplies us with spiritual resources. We can go back to chapter 14 in verse 26 and we can see the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We go back to chapter 14 in verse 26 and even chapter 16 in verse 13 and we see he is the spirit of truth. So we see the spiritual resources of comfort, of peace, of that paraclete who comes alongside. We see the truth, the spirit of truth. So we have the truth with us, accompanying us, with us to guide us, to direct us. We see in verse 26 of chapter 14, and again here in chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, we see that he proceeds from the Father. So that speaks even of the resources of God himself. And then we have this witness, chapter 14 and verse 27. We see the peace that comes, even in the midst of a world of trouble and difficulty, in a world that can sometimes bring fear and anxiety and apprehension. We have the peace of God the spiritual resources of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 9 says, I hath not seen nor ear heard. We think about the glories of God's revelation. We think about the depth and the riches of the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is helping to supply those resources to us as He indwells us. We have nest eggs. We have investments. We have savings accounts and CDs. We have stocks and bonds. And we have Roth IRAs. And on and on we could go. And we can look at the stock market. And we can look at our investments and our retirement accounts. And we can say, woe is me. But the spiritual resources that God provides are not up and down like the stock market, are not dependent on a Silicon Valley bank. We are dependent upon God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the resources we need to deal with this difficult life. And all the pressures and all of the problems and all the tribulations and all the trials and all the stress... He comforts. He brings peace. He bears witness of the Father. He guides us into truth. He supplies us with spiritual resources. Drop down to verse 16 a little while. 
and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Jesus is saying, I am not going to leave you alone. One of these resources that he supplies us with is God's very presence. We see this phrase, a little while, common in this passage. Jesus is again making reference to the fact that he will leave them, but he is, yes, physically leaving them, but not spiritually leaving them. He is still in the person of the Holy Spirit, present with them. They're struggling with this. They're having a hard time grasping this. Verse 17, then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew, verse 19, that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while? And ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me. Verse 20, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament. But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. What hope Christ brings. He promises God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. He promises them joy, another supply of the Holy Spirit, another ministry of the Holy Spirit is the joy that the Holy Spirit brings in the midst of sorrow. The world, he says in verse 20, as we just read, the world will rejoice in your sorrow. He's making reference again to persecution. He's making reference again to the cross. The world thinks that in the crucifixion of Christ, they will get rid of these Christians, these Christ followers. They will take joy in my death, Jesus says. You will struggle with my death. Though I have been teaching you this truth, it will bring sorrow to your heart. Humanly speaking, watching Christ suffer, watching him go into the grave, watching the injustice of those trials, it would bring sorrow to their hearts, humanly speaking. But Jesus says the very thing that brings so much pain, brings joy. And what does he illustrate with? A child being born. That child brings pain. We're not talking about kidney stone kind of pain, though I hear it's similar. And someone said, but at least a woman's body is made to bear a child. A man's is not. But the point is, that child brings pain to that mother as she goes into labor, as she bears that child. That child is a source of pain. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm in no way, as as you know, I'm in no way talking about this pro-murder, pro-choice, pro-abortion advocacy, which speaks of pregnancy as poison, which speaks of 
pregnancy as being something evil or in, unjust. That's not, of course, at all what I'm saying. But we understand that child in the mother's womb brings a measure of pain, especially in the labor process. And again, I've watched all four of my children be born, and I've been there with Kelly as she went through the pain, and I felt helpless. There was nothing I could do except hold her hand, except stand by her side. And, and uh, thankfully, she was not one of those kinds of wives who yelled and screamed and cursed at me. She wasn't like that at all. Um, but she was in, in pain. It, it was a struggle, especially with Emily. I've picked on her too much. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully she won't go back and listen to this message. But that child that brings pain when the child is born brings incredible joy. There is just something about seeing your child born and holding that child in your arms and seeing that precious baby and that infant there in that, that carrier in that, in that crib. It brings just incredible joy. And it just makes you so angry and righteous anger when we hear the things that are said, even in the news this week, and the horrible, murderous, genocidal kinds of things that are said about murdering unborn, preborn lives. It makes you so angry. There is a joy in a life being brought into the world, and the illustration here is that, yes, my crucifixion, yes, the pain of the crucifixion and the unjust trial and literally God-forsaking God in the statement that Jesus made to the Heavenly Father in a way that we can't comprehend an agony of becoming sin for us who knew no sin. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is an agony that we cannot comprehend, that makes our trials look so small. And in that pain, there would come great joy because that pain, that suffering, that death of Christ on the cross would provide the atonement for our salvation. And going further with this, as the world rejoices in our sorrow, as he's speaking specifically to the disciples in verse 20 in the context, we can't help but think of how this world has hated Christians. The desire to remove Christ, their thought was, well, he's just another one of those insurrectionists, leaders, rebellion, mutiny, whatever you want to call it, and when he dies... His movement will go away. It'll dissipate, just like all the other movements that have come and gone. But that didn't happen, did it? Christianity remains alive and well to this day. Christianity has changed the world for good. This passage and the endurance of Christianity and the influence of Christianity is a testimony to the truth of the Word of God, is a testimony to the deity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is a testimony to the sovereign omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence of God Himself. 
Because if this movement were simply a man-made movement, if Christ were just another good man and a prophet, a religious person who led a, a religious following, if that's all he was, then Christianity would have evaporated. Christianity would not have influenced the world and had such a positive, life-altering, world-changing influence. And throughout history, you can look and you can see that Christianity has brought an overwhelmingly positive influence on the world. From the books, to the music, to science, to history, to education, but obviously, most importantly, to the saving of souls and the changing of lives. And Christianity did this. Eleven of those apostles who turned the world upside down were mere fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. They could have never on their own brought the world to the influence of the gospel had it not been for the supernatural work of Jesus Christ, of God himself in their lives, and the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit as they went forth and preached the gospel. Christianity changed the world for good and did so without violence, without extortion, without dictatorships, without deceit. It's nothing short of supernatural. We wouldn't even have the Geneva Convention today that has some rules of war that are being violated even now as I speak in the war in Ukraine. We wouldn't even have the Geneva Convention, rules of war, had it not been for the influence of Christianity. We wouldn't be here in this place worshiping our God and Savior with this kind of freedom had it not been for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have so much to be thankful for, so much gratitude. And we have seen throughout history the influence of normal, ordinary, and can I say, and sometimes unordinary lives. People whom God has empowered by the Holy Spirit as they have submitted to Him and they have taken the gospel and they have lived for the Lord and they have faithfully served Him and they've taken the gospel even to some of the most remote, primitive places. Missionaries that even we support. And they see changed lives. It's only supernatural. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we yield ourselves to Him, God can use us. And we can see that resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in spite of ourselves being used of the Lord to transform lives. And we see that in this illustration. That child that brought such pain brings great joy and the Holy Spirit transforms like that baby. That baby did not become something new and different. That baby was a baby from the moment of conception. And that baby is still a baby in a different stage of development, but that baby has been transformed now. And God desires to do that through the work of the Holy Spirit. Transform our lives, even through the pain and the suffering, and make us more like Him, and to use us in His service. 
this is the spiritual resource that the Holy Spirit brings in his ministry to us. He brings this kind of transformation, this kind of change. We continue down in our passage here in verse 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Once again, a reference to that joy that comes to the supply of the Holy Spirit. A joy that comes how? Through Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A joy that comes that cannot be taken away because the Holy Spirit is with us, indwells us. Happiness comes and goes. I sometimes make reference to the elusive butterfly of happiness. Because if you've ever tried to catch a butterfly, I know you can have a net and you can have some things, some tools, resources to help you, but most of the time, if we even have a net, if we just start trying to find a butterfly, catch a butterfly, it escapes. We try to clasp it in our hands and it gets away. And that's the way happiness is. We try to find it here and it gets away. We try to find it there and we try to find it in all the world's passing pleasures and that happiness goes away. But we have true joy in the person of the Holy Spirit. So even though the circumstances change, there's a transforming work from within through the the person of the Holy Spirit, as he points us to Christ, as he points us to the truth of the word of God, that we can claim his promises, that we can follow his commands, that we can obey his principles and find true joy in doing the will of God, in obeying the word of God, in fulfilling the will of God. And then we drop down to verse 23, and we'll have to finish this part of the, the message next week. But we see another supply of the Holy Spirit, another ministry of the Holy Spirit. We'll just barely touch on it. And that is answered prayer. Verse 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. The Holy Spirit even intercedes. We know in Romans chapter 8 that there are times that there are groanings which cannot be uttered. We can't even sometimes put into words all of the feelings and all of the emotions and everything that's going on in our heart and our mind, but the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes and even takes those groanings which are hard for us to even put into words and ministers on our behalf before the Father. That is a great joy. That is a tremendous spiritual resource. This verse is sometimes taken out of context and treated as if it is some genie in a bottle type of good fortune that we just pull out of context and we just somehow name it and claim it. And the word faith movement has done great disservice to this verse. When we pray in the name of Jesus... We're not taking Jesus and making him into our likeness and treating our God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as if they are a genie in the bottle. 
As if God is a genie in the bottle who we can then manipulate to get what we want. Praying in Christ's name is me submitting to who Christ is, to who God is. As the Holy Spirit guides me into the truth and points me to Jesus Christ, I submit to the word of God. I submit to who he is. I I submit to his lordship and I pray in his name. Yes, I pray for healing. Yes, I pray for this to work out in my favor. But if it doesn't, I still trust a sovereign God. I still trust a holy God. I still trust because I'm submitted to him. And I'm led of the Holy Spirit and I'm claiming his promises. This is something we'll have to continue with, Lord willing, next week. But the supply of answered prayer. What a ministry that the Holy Spirit gives to us. What a ministry that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. I know it's easy to get caught up in the emotion. It's easy to get caught up in all of the religiosity that's out there and all of the things that is is so demanded by the religious culture that often just totally misrepresents and guides us away from the true ministry of the Holy Spirit. That takes us away from the word of God that points us away from Jesus Christ. No, the ministry of the Holy Spirit continually, regularly, faithfully points us to God, points us to the word of God and helps us as the paraclete, as the comforter to come alongside us and to supply us with the spiritual resources that we need to live a faithful and obedient life. May we be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit today and throughout every day, and not quench or grieve Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the tremendous promises of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, there can sometimes be such great consternation and anxiety in the world in which we live, but Lord, You have promised through your word and the person of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you are with us and that we can depend upon you for the resources that we need for living faithfully an obedient Christian life. Lord, I pray that you will use your word in our hearts. May the Holy Spirit have free reign even now. And, Lord, if there's someone who is convicted of their sin, may they get that matter right today. If they're unsaved, Lord, and they have been shown the evidence of their sin and their need for salvation, may they turn to you in saving faith, even before we leave this building today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jake is going to come and lead us here in just a moment in two stanzas.